Blog Talk Radio. Sponsored by WomenSpeakers.com, the largest online directory of Christian women speakers in the world, you're listening to Marnie's Friends. Hey everybody, this is Marnie Swedberg and welcome to another edition of Marnie's Friends. Our program today is author training entitled Lessons from a Multi-Million Best-Selling Author and our guest today is Cecil Murphy. During the next hour, you are going to discover writing basics that you must know, tricks for fine-tuning a rough draft concept, specific strategies for keeping your reader intrigued, how to deal with writer's blocks and rejection, how to look like a pro even if you're just starting out, what publishers need and want from authors, your best bet for making a living as a writer, and also Cecil's best tip for new or discovered um, or, or discouraged writers. Sorry about that. Uh, Cecil Murphy is a New York Times bestselling author. He has written or co-written more than 135 books, including the bestsellers 90 Minutes in Heaven and Gifted Hands, the Ben Carson story. And his books have sold in the millions, have been translated into more than 30 languages, and have brought hope and encouragement to countless readers around the world. His website is Cecil Murphy, and you spell it C-E-C-I-L. And then Murphy is with an E, M-U-R. P-H-E-Y dot com. Welcome to you, Cecil. Hey, it's so good to be back with you, Marnie. Well, and it's great to have you here. I was thinking before we came on the air, you know, that um, I get to be a mentor to a lot of people, and uh, I have mentors in my life, and you are surely one of them, sir. Um, you just have modeled for me such a beautiful spirit as well as a great skill and uh, accomplishment in your life, and you just are such a humble a humble person despite um Despite, you know, the accolades that we could go on and on for for a long time. So thank you for being that role model for me and for others as well. I'm so grateful. Thank you. All right. Well, I'm excited to dive into this hour because for those of our listeners who are either uh, writing a first book or possibly thinking about writing a book, or maybe they've written several um, and they just want to take take their skill level to the next level, um, we're going to spend some time here talking about some things that you know that maybe we don't know already or that we maybe heard once and forgot. So let's go right back and start at the beginning with some basics. What are some writing basics that you think that every author or writer should know? Okay, let me just tell you, I, I'm, I'm not doing this to sell books, but I have two books on writing. And the first one is called uh, Unleash the Writer Within. And, and it deals with why you want to write, what are your motivations for writing, that kind of thing. And I, I think that's, and I, I wrote that because I had people asking about it and then i have a second book uh called writer to writer which are some tips or i have a blog a twice weekly blog blog called cease writer to writer uh and um they can get that off my website but right there, there are some things about the writing that you just have to know uh and grammar is one if you don't know grammar either learn it or get somebody to help you uh uh, another thing is get rid of those cliches, those overworked terms. Be as specific as you can. And one of the things that <clears throat> almost everyone talks about is show and don't tell. Instead of just telling me something, let me be able to see it. Uh, uh, you know, instead of saying, I was afraid, describe your fear. What was going on? 
were you shaking? Was your voice quivering? Let me see your fear. So it's that kind of, the, you know, and along with this basic is, uh, I, I would urge anybody who's interested in getting started is to read books on the writing. They're all different, and some will speak to you and some won't. But think of it this way. The fact that they're published means there are already a few rungs on the ladder ahead of you. <laughs> right, right. Okay, so just some basic um some basic things to just start and you know there's if somebody were going to like study your two books like the Un- unleash the writer within and the other one uh, like what do you think like two to four hours each to just kind of do a overview run through them or how long do you think people would need to have <laughs> i don't know um you know again see marty i never set rules for writers i feel everybody has to find out what works for them uh you know, I'm I'm a highly energetic person, so uh, I, I you know I can just dive in and stay in it. Some people, 20 minutes is exhausting. Uh, <laughs> what, I would, what I would say is, whatever plan you start on, make it so that it's something you do on a regular basis. Well, for instance, when I first started writing, uh, I I I started 15 minutes a day, five days a week. And soon that was 30 minutes a day, and then it became an hour a day, then it was two hours a day. And I was a busy pastor, and so after it got to be about two hours a day and Saturday afternoons, it was time for me to jump into writing full time. Hmm. Yeah, and and so through the years, and I know that you um, you were putting out consistently over five books a year, um, many yeah, years more. Man. <laughs> What's that? I said I was a driven man. About a driven man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you were when you were doing that, like how many hours a day do you consider full time writing? Again, you see, you know, I got to remember I'm talking about me and not anybody else. Right. Uh, sure. What I normally what I was doing until very recently, I would start. I would be at my desk around seven in the morning, stop for lunch, do any errands, sometimes take a nap. Uh, about. Twelve thirty, one o'clock, and by two o'clock I was back and worked till five, sometimes six, five days a week and Saturday mornings. Sure. Okay. So but and, and you, back. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, I don't know for those of our listeners who aren't maybe familiar with you, Cecil, uh, are you about retirement age then, or? <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm eighty-three years old. I'm an old. I'm an old guy. <laughs> So you're going to cut back a little from full time full time writing. I love it. So when you uh, when you have a rough draft kind of put together, well, maybe let's start back for you. When you're writing, do you finish a whole rough draft before you go back and and start fine tuning, or do you do a section at a time, or how do you do it? Okay, for beginning writers, people aren't really experienced. I would urge them. To vomit on the page, just get it down. You know, you can always clean enough to vomit later. But the trouble is, if you start editing yourself on the page, sometimes you never get past page one or two. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's that's pretty general advice that I consider worth paying attention to. Uh, that's what I had to do. Uh, just let it go. See, I finally figured out that. Um, uh, Nobody knew what my rough draft was going to look like except me, so I could just 
throw it out there. It's, it's so much easier to edit words on a page than it is to edit a blank paper. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> now, however, once I got so I knew what I was doing, uh, is to, uh, I pre my I, I would edit as I go along because I knew where I was going, and I'd work on a sentence or a paragraph or do a little manipulating of the, the prose. Uh, so now, instead of writing five or six drafts of a book, I I usually write no more. Usually, it's within three drafts. Wow. Okay. Yep. Yep. And when you start to fine tune, do you have a process that you go through? Well, yeah. Uh, first, I, I I get it down as best I can. Um, you know, I think one of the things we have to learn to do is to silence that inner critic, this voice in our head that just says, "Oh, that's lousy. That's terrible." So, and what I finally learned to do is, when I start getting those thoughts, I just say, "Okay, just be patient with me. Let me finish, and you can edit it and complain about it all you want." And that's helped me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, so I gave myself permission to do my best, and then I go back with the inner critic. And then mm-hmm. I try to look very critically at it, read my sentences. Uh, some people uh, like reading aloud, and if it helps you do so, reading aloud doesn't help me, but I think for most people it's probably a good practice, especially in the first years of writing. Um and what I try to do is to ask myself, does each sentence lead to the next, and does the, each paragraph close so the next paragraph follows the transition? The, one of the biggest problems I see with writers is they just jump from topic to topic. You know, they're running around, uh, writing, work, and then their mind floats, and they come back and write some more, then their mind floats, and their stuff is pretty disjointed. So there's good writing needs a logical flow. And so that's what I work look at when I do that first draft, a logical flow. And the other thing is uh, I have to ask myself, am I being honest? Hmm. Uh, it's, so, it's so easy to try to be impressive and to let people know I'm a writer. Uh, I, and my goal is just to be the most honest person I know how to be. Hmm. Can you give me an example of where that would come into play? Oh, sure. Um, just any time you're writing about it. Uh, okay, let me give you an example. Uh, I did a book a few years ago on prayer, and I, my, I started out saying, prayer, some, prayer bores me, and sometimes I wonder why I'm doing it. Prayer also mm-hmm. excites me. Then I know why I'm doing it. Uh, now, my editor didn't like that. She said, oh, it sounds like something ought to go in your journal. And uh, she wanted to change it. And I said, either it goes my way on this one or not. See, I want mm. people to know that uh, that was as honest as I knew how to be. Some, see, people write books, make, the tendency is to make it sound like you always do it right. You always know exactly what <laughs> right. to do. And right. You know what? And, and not, to, not today, but back in those days, there were times when I was just kind of bored praying and bored reading the Bible and all, going through all the religious exercises. I, I will say that's no longer true, but it was true for probably 25 years. Mm-hmm. Wow, yeah. Do you feel like that's where <laughs> I I think that your books are so readable, Cecil, and is that part of the reason why is because we can relate to you as a person, as a writer. Uh, you're not being... Um, 
Well, you're just being vulnerable with us in your writing. You know what? You're wonderful. You got it. You understand. You said exactly right. Thank you. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. My word is transparent. You know, um, in the first uh, chapter of John, uh, Jesus comes to Nathaniel and he said, uh, behold, a man in whom there is no guile. That's one of the things I've prayed for years. Every Uh. God, make me Nathaniel. No, God, I love that. I've never heard anybody want to be like Nathaniel, but that's an awesome guy to be like, that there's no guile in him. That's awesome. Well, this is Marnie Swedberg. We're visiting today with Cecil Murphy of CecilMurphy.com. You want to go over and check out his website, which is CecilMurphy.com, and Murphy is spelled with an E at the end, P-H-E-Y.com. We're going to come right back, talk about some specific strategies for keeping your reader intrigued, also how to deal with writer's block and rejections. We'll be right back. Oh my goodness, you guys, we are having such a fun week. We're doing something new at womenspeakers.com. We are having an invite a speaker week. And so all week, we're throwing out hundreds of pictures of the speakers over at womenspeakers.com. Not only their pictures, but their names and states and uh, helping get uh, get the word out there that we've got so many speakers, over a thousand speakers available for you to choose from at womenspeakers.com. We want gals who are planning events to, of course, invite a speaker, but also so if you know of a speaker who isn't already at womenspeakers.com, be sure to invite her to come during Invite a Speaker Week. Uh, today's featured speaker is Melissa Pierce of Greensburg, Pennsylvania. If you go to womenspeakers.com and click on Pennsylvania, you'll find her there. Or you can just type her name in. Pierce is P-E-A-R-C-E. And uh, she's got six topics and um two resources over there as well as over 10 reviews and lots of great stuff about Melissa at womenspeakers.com so you want to check that out well our program today is for authors and our guest today is Cecil Murphy and he's one of my favorite guests to have on and this is a return appearance for him Cecil thank you so much for coming back and sharing the air with me again today thank you thank you for having me back oh yeah I love it love it okay let's talk about Specific strategies for keeping your reader intrigued. You know, you were talking before about um, the need that the sentences would lead to the next sentence, that the paragraphs would flow together. That's a huge one right there. And I could just, when you were saying it, I thought I thought of a couple of books actually recently that I'd gone through and I thought, you know, that was the problem, was that I always felt like... Um, I didn't. I didn't feel smooth <laughs> yeah, reading it. Is that the right way to say it? <laughs> sure. See, they they from paragraph to paragraph. If they don't do it, then they have failed. Hmm. Yeah. So, what are some other strategies for keeping your reader intrigued? Then. Well, uh, withholding information as much as you can. I have somebody here in my office. That I've been working with him today, and I won't tell you his name because he may want to shoot me or something, but he's telling a story, and he says, uh, uh, starts immediately telling about a story of, of a son who was uh, diagnosed with a serious illness at age four, and I mm-hmm. said to him, you know, you've already given half the story away, because uh, then mm-hmm. he tells how the phone rang after that, so I said, let the phone ring, let your wife cry historically, hysterically, now tell me what it's about. Mm-hmm. See, you withhold 
all the information you can as long as you can, but it's got to be something worth holding back. For instance, sometimes people will withhold the name of the of a, of a person or a character uh, to like the third page, and I ask them why, and they say, "Well, the bill suspense." I said, "You know what? Nobody cares about the name. Give them a name so they begin to identify quickly." So that that's uh. yeah, you know, you know, and, and it's also got to keep them. In, there's you need tension. There must be a problem, and 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 every time you write a section of a chapter, a whole book, whatever. Always make sure there's a problem or some serious tension before you write. If there's no tension, uh, it, there's no, it's not of interest to anybody. I have a question for you that that's kind of sure. uh, this is this is kind of off the wall, but I think that because of your work as a writer and especially because of how much you really need that tension in the story to make it intriguing, to make it exciting. When you think of heaven, and this is kind of off the beaten path, but a little bit, I just want to pick your brain here. When when you think of heaven and heaven being, you know, no tears, no death, no sorrow, no separation, what will be the intrigue that will keep us excited when we get to heaven? Well, because I believe uh, when it says create a new heaven and a new earth, that it's saying we're going back to the original renewed Eden where we will work in the garden or whatever it is so there will be work to do. I can't think of anything more boring than to just sit. Strumming an angel. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so think about the fact that God's going to wipe all the tears, which I think means all the memories, all the pain, everything from our past, and we all start as innocent babes and stay like innocent babes and work mm. together harmoniously. That's mm. what intrigues me about the idea of heaven. Mm. Okay. All right. Well, we aren't quite there yet. We're still here. <laughs> We've got all kinds of intrigue going on. That's so right. when uh, when somebody starts to work on work on a book, okay, so let's say that there's maybe three main points of intrigue, um, three major points of frustration or of anxiety in the book, how do you pull someone from one to the next and keep them engaged in the story? I think one of the best examples you've ever done is the 90 minutes in heaven. I mean, he has this huge accident up front. And I remember thinking as we're getting, you know, toward about one third of the way through the book, there's still two thirds of the way through the book left. Um, What could he possibly have left to say? But yet pulled me all the way through the book. Well, one of the things when you're doing a book, I think one of the things you always need to remember is give me something at the end of that chapter which will make me want to read the next chapter. And you better have a next chapter and another <laughs> situation. Um, you know, in the old days, there used to be what they called the gothics, you know, the Jane Eyre kind of books where the heroine on an island and all kinds of stories. And, and a typical ending for a chapter would be Oh, if only I had known. Hmm. If only I'd known who was at the door, I wouldn't have answered. And then that's the end of the chapter. So that, that was a, they don't do that much anymore, but that was an <laughs> old way of doing it. See, it makes you want to go out and say, what's next? Yeah. So how are they doing it now if they don't do it that way? Well, they just simply say things like, um, that solved one problem. There were more problems ahead. Yeah, right. 
Right. It, it doesn't matter what you do so much as uh, you do. Let me, let me give you another way to look at your thrillers, the fiction thrillers, and read the last sentence, the last mm. paragraph of 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 the of the book. Uh, I don't think James Patterson's much. I don't like his writing very much, but he knows how to get you to the next chapter. Uh, <laughs> we just any pick up any James Patterson books are all essentially the same, and they're short. And just go from and chapter to chapter, and he's already setting you up for the next chapter. That's what good writing does. Mm. That's actually a good practice to do. I remember being told to do that for an introduction, um, to pick up a couple of books that I really liked and just read their introduction. So what sure. I did is I wrote, I wrote an introduction of my own first, picked up a couple of books, read those introductions, then rewrote my own introduction, and wow, a huge uh-huh. difference. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's a that's a good method. You know, it, it, it that's a trouble. See, we all work differently. What you have to find is what will work for you. Uh, when I first started writing and, and I got into that introduction, I did exactly what you did. I I must have read twenty books, the introduction mm-hmm. of about twenty books, so that I really began to get the pattern. And then I started copying first sentences, um, and really found them very very helpful. The, the problem is. A lot of people write these first sentences uh, that are to grab attention, but they don't say anything. You know, uh, you're not trying to. You've got to grab their attention with something that relates to the readers. Hmm. So, how did you how did you find the ones that you felt like were model? I mean, that that you could model your writing after. Did you only just look at bestsellers, or how did you decide? Oh, I start with bestsellers. Uh, yeah, because they are bestsellers. But I also finally figured out something. There are a lot of books that are bestsellers that are badly written. Uh, yeah. I, you know, they're like like uh, here's a perennial seller, uh, Daniel Steele. She's not really a very good writer, uh, but she has great stories. Hmm. So some people get away with it that way. Great stories, uh, inferior writing. Uh, why not have great writing and great stories? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Well, thinking about that, you know, when you're starting out, you might get a lot of rejections. You might have, you know, people telling you, oh, you know, that's a waste of time or whatever. What do you do with the thought processes like that? Well, you know, I was fortunate. I, I didn't have any rejections. I wrote like 40 articles, and then I had seven rejections in one day. So I got it. We all oh. get it. Uh, that that nearly killed me uh, emotionally. <laughs> One of my friends just laughed at me, and he said, "Who do you know that Who do you know that writes enough to get seven rejections in one day?" So yeah, right, right. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, uh, I think when we when the biggest problem with rejections is we have to learn, and I think it's something you only learn to experience is. That's not an emotional reaction. They're not against you. They don't hate you. They're not going to snicker about you at the water fountain. It means mm. you have a product, and they're not interested. Once I got mm. that in my head, uh, I, I'm just a product. I'm just giving them a product. Not, not, I'm not giving them my life. It came out of my blood uh, and my depth of emotions. But even so, it's still a product. Hmm. Right. I uh, We have a restaurant and, uh, you know, when people come into our restaurant, we have tacos, a lot of Mexican stuff, and we have Italian. But that's all. We don't have a, we don't have a grill. 
And so sometimes people will walk in and they'll say, I just wanted a hamburger and fries. And I have to just say, well, we don't have that. And, you know, that's kind of how it is with a writer, too. Uh, somebody may want something that you don't have, and that's okay. Uh, yeah. You have what you have. And that's yeah. and you're there for the people who want what who are hungry for what you have to serve. <laughs> so right. it's okay. Yeah. Go ahead. I was thinking about I was thinking about rejections. Do, did you ever create any kind of a ritual with it at all? Do you have anything that you do with your rejection letters? Well, not anymore because now they're all it's all email now. <laughs> but back in the old days. Uh, Back when Edgar Allan Poe and I were still writing together, uh, we, uh, several of us got together and we saved them and we had rejection parties. And you had to have a rejection to even get in the door to the party, at least in theory. And then we had rejections for placemats and rejections for oh, no. everything. Yeah, oh, know. that's hilarious. Yeah, and, and then, we, then we had a contest to who got the worst. Oh my goodness, that's so funny. But that's you don't great. Get those kind of rejections anymore. Now they're all form all right. letters or emails. But we just had a lot of fun doing it. And, but the main thing, Martin, is this: it, 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 I think it's important <laughs> to associate with other writers because once you know mm-hmm. that with your rejection, you're just like everybody else. We all get them. Right. Right. Yeah, my husband, when uh, when we first started dating, he had just finished his master's degree, and it was in the middle of the recession in the 80s, and he was looking for a job, and he accumulated, I think it was 198, it was almost 200 rejection yeah. letters, yeah. and he would, he would, he saved them all, and later on, about 20, 20 or 25 years later, when he was a commencement speaker at a college that he helped to start, he actually took that file folder full of rejection letters and Ooh. said, you know, you, he said, you have to recognize that this is a temporary moment in your life. If you get a rejection or a hundred or more, this is a temporary moment. It's not going to stay there. It's going to change. Things will turn. So just don't give up hope. Wonderful. Yeah. I love that you had parties and that you like used them for placemats and stuff. That's hilarious. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, oh, we had so much fun with them. Uh, and that was kind of, that took the pain away. Yeah, right, right. It kind of puts it into perspective. It's a piece of paper. It's one thing. It's not my whole life. Yeah, one of the things one of the things that I learned to do, and I uh, not so much with rejections from writing, but just with uh, criticism that people would uh, launch at me, Uh, you'd get a letter that says, you know, they thought you did something wrong or bad or whatever. And I just, I just would take them into my bedroom, kneel down beside my bed, I'd lay the letter on the bed. And then I would just talk to God about the letter that he just got. (laughs) If there was anything he wanted me to do about it. Because um, as long as I'm just his servant, then that's really what it is. It's really his problem, not mine. And that really helped me, again, to put things into perspective. Yeah. Oh, no, I understand. And, um, you know, uh, the other thing is I think we tend to remember the rejections and forget the good right. things. Right. Um, uh, here's one of the things that I, I, I learned to say. Uh, uh, count the yes votes and ignore the no votes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. That's that, great. That well, really helped me is uh, you're, you know you're always going to find Chris. I know you won't believe this, but I still get people rejecting me or criticizing me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but you know, um, 
I, I get them all the time. I get every, yeah, I send out a newsletter every month, and there are, I know I'm always going to get three or four people who tell me why I'm wrong or want to correct my theology or uh, right. want to fix me. But that's who they, you know. That's okay if they need to do that. Let them do it. Makes them yeah. feel better. And I I I say you know thank you, and I'll think I'll think seriously about it. And I do. And the serious thinking it probably often is. Yeah, I don't think this is for me. But anyway, I, <laughs> I, I, I do try to hear what they're saying because sometimes, even if the criticism is wrong, there, there is some truth in what they say. Right. Uh, my mother-in-law taught me that that if she was ever criticized, she would give the criticism to God and then say, "Where is the nugget of truth yep. in this?" Uh, because there, like you say, there there sometimes is something in there that we can learn and grow from. So, what do you say to the writer who's just been trying and they just can't get past the writer's block? It's just a, they just are stuck. Uh, see, I I don't like the word writer's block. I think of the word as writer's resistance. And here's the reason mm. I say that. Uh, there's a reason why you're not getting through. Uh, you may not be ready to write. It may be you're more ambitious for something, or it's not something you more ambitious than you need to be. Or maybe it's because you don't really care about it, and you're doing it because somebody suggested it. One time an editor got me excited about a project, and I started really working on it. After about four days, I thought, I don't care about this topic. So why am I trying to write about it? Um, so here, when when I, I I've never had much problem with writers' resistance, but when I do, I stop and say, okay, what is going on inside me that makes me resist this? Uh. Help and just and I don't do anything more until I hear something from God, uh, and it, it it's amazing what we can learn about ourselves just by asking that question, what's going on that makes me resist this? And then the other thing is, not only listen, but be kind to ourselves. Uh, mm-hmm. Too often we demand like, okay, come on, get up, get off your rear end and get busy. <laughs> get going. Uh, yeah, God doesn't talk that way. I, 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 I just say, okay, you know, just help me understand what's wrong. If it's not for me, I'll stop it. Or maybe it's not time yet. Hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, timing is huge too. I wonder if I learned that from you. The be kind to be kind to yourself. That's one of the principles that I teach all the time, and I didn't ever know sure. where I learned it. But maybe I learned it from you, Cecil. <laughs> I don't know. I say that a lot to people. Yeah. Every, almost every Sunday when I go to church, I say to my pastor, his name is Owen. I said, Owen, are you being nice to Owen this week? Yeah. How are you right. treating Owen? Right. <laughs> now he, now he, when I get there, he tells me. I'm doing better, or things like that, you know. You know, I think we are. I think we are just by nature really hard on ourselves. And like you said earlier, you know, those voices come and say, you know, it's no good. It's lousy. You're never going to make it. And you just have to say no. Would Would I say that to a friend of mine who is trying to write something? Probably not. <laughs> Yeah. Well, well, this is Marnie Swedberg. We're visiting today with Cecil Murphy of CecilMurphy.com. You do want to check out his website. He's got a blog over there as well as lots of great resources that you need to check out. We're going to come right back and talk about how to look like a pro, even if you're just starting out, and what publishers really need and want from authors. We'll be right back.
Well, our resource focus today is the free stuff that's available over at my site, Marnie.com. That's M-A-R-N-I-E.com. And there's some great stuff over there for you. First of all, SANE, Social Networking in 15 Minutes a Day, is the process that I use to, um, to manage my thousands of connections online in 15 minutes a day. And you can check that out. It's called SANE. Also free as an ebook, How to Start a Women's Ministry. And this has been used by ministries all over the world. Just got an email from somebody in... Um, Oh, where was she from? Uh, definitely from Africa. And I'm trying to remember the name of the um, country right now. And I lost it. But anyway, uh, she started one several years ago using this book. So it's a great little book, uh, just about an hour read, and you'll be able to have a clear plan there. Also, over there's the to-do template that I use to keep track of everything that's going on in my life. So you can just find that there's a scripture memorization tool for free. You'll find expos, two expos that you can tap into for free. One is the Bible Study Expo that of books available to you, authors, interviews over there if you're looking for your next women's Bible study. And also the Wealth Expo, the Godly Wealth Expo, which is an amazing uh, series of three interviews with guys. Um, one, a pastor who is making a dollar a year, trusting God for everything else. One from multimillionaire um, uh, physicist and another one from another pastor who's done a lot of study in the Bible about what God says about money. So you'll want to check all those out at Marnie.com under the resources tab. Well, right now we're going to bring our guest back on today. Our guest is Cecil Murphy, a best-selling author and um, just a wonderful guy. And so Cecil, welcome back to you. We're going to talk next about how to look like a pro, even if you're just starting out as a writer. So you were talking earlier about being authentic and being real. And yet when we are just starting out, uh, you don't want to look too green <laughs> when, you're going, when you're going at the beginning. So what are some tips? Well, the first thing is learn the, the format. There is a format for manuscripts that started back in the typewriter days. Uh, by the way, anybody can email me, or, uh, just Cecil Murphy, uh, uh, sorry, c.murphy at uh, uh, comcast.net, c.murphy comcast.net, and I'll send them a handout. But there's a format. Everything needs to be double-spaced. Uh, you indent half an inch every paragraph. Uh, you need to have your name at the top. Uh, if it's an article, you need to tell them approximately how many words. Uh, if And uh, what rights are you selling? First rights means you're going to sell this to them. They have one-time use, and then after that, it reverts to you. Uh, uh, that's that's the usual way we, we sell them. People like Guidepost will buy all rights, uh, and that means that uh, if they buy it, you can never reuse it again without their permission. Uh, but it's, it's got to have the right look. Uh, and if you're writing a book, go to their, the website of the publisher that you're interested in or, or, or go to literary agents. Many of them will actually have the guidelines for, for doing guidelines. It's a soft way of saying, here are the rules. But mm -hmm. it, it has to have a look to it. Uh, you know, for instance, you start about a third of the way down the page. This goes back to the typewriter days when editors actually wrote by hand a little note to the printer uh, of what the kind of type and so on to, uh, they needed. And they just stayed with us. So that's still the format for, for books and articles today. Hmm. What is a big no-no for a new writer? Um, 
big no-no is uh, sloppy grammar, oh, misspelled words. You'd be surprised. As soon as ed- editors read one or one misspelled word, sometimes two, they're through. Uh, hmm. it's, it's like if you don't care enough to make this right, uh, we don't, we're not interested. And you know, get somebody to help you with somebody who knows spelling. You know, don't depend on spell check. That helps. But there's sometimes spell check gives you the wrong word. Uh, and make sure you know what the words mean. A lot of people are not using the uh, the thesaurus that comes with this uh, uh, with the word documents. Sure. And sometimes they're the wrong words. And oh, another thing is always use word document because that's the standard in the publishing industry. Uh, most people know that, but it's still the publishing industry. A twelve point font. And unless you know better, Times New Roman. I don't like Times New Roman, but that's the standard. Um, uh, and so, you, just to have the stint, it's got a, a manuscript needs to have a look to it. That's the first thing. If it doesn't have the look, some some editors and agents never get past that. Hmm. Interesting. So, what is it that they're really wanting or looking for from an author? Yeah, that's a good question. The answer is they don't know. Uh, seriously, <laughs> seriously, what they're looking for, their answer usually is, I don't know, but I will when I see it. So what you mm. have to do is, is write in a way that makes it readable, and you, and the first per- person may say no. Okay, let me give you an example. I, I, I've been working on a book for, with a, a Marine who is a triple uh, uh, amputee. I've had about 14 turndowns. So I thought, well, it's, it's dead. After about three months, I got an email saying there's a publisher who's now interested. So, you know, you never know. See, what one writer, one editor likes, another one says, oh, who cares? Um, and, you know, 90 Minutes in Heaven, I don't know if you know, you probably don't know this, but I was turned, we were turned down by 12 publishers before mm. I sold it. Wow. And see, and the book's now sold close to 8 million copies. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and and most, a lot of bestsellers are, are that way, that they just right. don't grab the right person. Uh, and so with the right person and the right publisher, and they get the vision for it, then it goes. Hmm. So uh, how how have you decided what publishers to work with, like, Whoever takes it, or do you have favorites that you start with? <laughs> okay, I have a literary agent, and she, I'll tell you how she works first. Um, and, and what she does, she'll get, she'll get the manuscript, she'll take a few days, maybe two weeks. She won't work on it all the time, but she'll be thinking about it, planning, and then she'll make her hit list. And she'll send it to like 12 or 14 different agents. Uh, what she'll, she'll send them an email because that's how it's done today. Occasionally, phone call, but most of it's done by email. I have a new book by Cease Murphy, and, and I write a concept statement for her so that she tells me essentially what the book is about. And then it's either yes or no. Sometimes they'll say, well, yes, and then they ask to see a proposal, uh, which is a bit complicated, but it's part of the industry standards. And then they may reject it, but that's how it works. When Before that, when I was on my own, I would think, now, who would be interested in this kind of uh, 
a book or article, when I was doing articles, for instance, if I was doing a personal experience, which is where most writers start, uh, I would think, look at the magazines that published personal experience articles. Or if I wanted to do a theological thing on how to pray better, uh, I would look at the publications that dealt with those kind of topics. So that's your responsibility. There's a book, by the way, called Christian Writer's Market Guide. It's mm-hmm. an annual it used to be put out by Sally Stewart. Now Jerry Jenkins is putting out the Christian Writer's Market Guide. And it's got all the book publishers in there and all the magazine and easing publishers. And they will tell you what they're looking for. Hmm. So do you feel that a, a new writer should start by looking for an agent or should start by uh, pitching directly? <laughs> well, uh, you're talking books now. Art, they aren't interested in, in, in articles because there's not enough money in it. Uh-huh. Uh, I would say make sure you know what you're doing. You only get one chance with an agent. Now, here, let me tell you, I'll give you a little hint. The best thing I can do if you're really serious about wanting to write, really want to get published, go to a writer's conference. And they're all over the country. Um, there are probably 50 writer's conferences a year, Christian writer's conferences. And you will usually get an appointment, can make appointments to talk to agents and editors there and, and pitch your ideas to them. Again, there's a format for it. They suggest you bring what they call a one sheet on one piece of paper. Tell them a paragraph about you, a paragraph about the book. Those are the two main things. And then have a the first chapter or so to show them if they're interested. But they're not going to buy it or make you an offer on this on the spot, but they will tell you if they're interested. Uh, but otherwise, today, you cannot, really can't sell a book to a reputable publisher without an agent, unless they're a really small press that prints like 300 copies at a time. Sure. Oh, that's just such good input there. And uh, where is there a place to find where all these writers' conferences are? Is there a, like a clearinghouse where you can search for them? Well, there's something called the World Wide Web, and you can <laughs> Christian writers' conferences. Sure. And then your own your own state or whatever. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I would do. Uh, no, that's and, awesome. Well, you can look at them, just see what they've got, and then. You'd be surprised how much information you can get, uh, or you can say uh, write Christian Writers Conferences in Minnesota. Sure, absolutely. Well, this is Marnie Swedberg. We're visiting today with Cecil Murphy of CecilMurphy.com, talking about how to make the most of your writing, whether you're just starting or whether you've been writing for a long time. We're going to come back and talk about your best bet for making a living as a writer, as well as his best tip for new or discouraged writers. We'll be right back. Okay, and we're going to talk about what's coming up next. Next week, we have event planner training, casting vision and time management for event planners. And then after that, I am on my way to Africa for a couple of weeks. But we'll have shows while I'm gone that we've uh, pre-recorded for you. So you're going to have seven keys to starting a profitable business and writer training with Peter Bowerman while I'm gone. And then we'll come back and have a Mother's Day special, how to be a worry-free mom. So looking forward to that. And if you don't know about my Africa trip, you can learn about that over at Marnie.com. Thanks for being here with us today and every week at Marnie's Friends. And if you listen around the web or at iTunes or Stitcher or wherever, thanks for that as well. 
Our guest today, Cecil Murphy, is a best-selling author, a multi-million seller, and he is here sharing with us some of his favorite strategies and tips. Cecil, you have made a living as a writer, but most writers would tell you that that's a hard thing to do. So what do you have to tell us about actually doing this as a career? Well, first, um, I don't think everybody ought to be a best, be a full-time writer. So you, you just, you just Think about it. If you're going to be a full-time writer, that means you're going to write at least one book a year, and you don't make a living any other. You don't make a living writing articles. Do you have enough material to write a book a year? Now, the reason I I think the biggest reason I've been successful is uh, I became a ghostwriter. I didn't intend it; just kind of happened. If I had to write only my own material, I would never have right. enough material to write that many books. Uh, so let me tell you, there are three ways I can think of to make a living as a writer. One, write a best-selling book that sells at least a million copies and you're set up for life. Because <laughs> the, next book, the next book you write, even if, it's a, even if it's dreadful, you'll still get a good following from it. They may not mm-hmm. buy a third one, but see, you've got two books out there. So that's the first one. Uh, the second way is to uh, write a book, at least one book a year, which I've already mentioned, and the third way is to have a lot of books on what we call the backlist. By that, I mean books that uh, stay in print uh, and you get royalties. For instance, Ben Carr's book, Nine, uh, uh, Gifted Hands, and I did a book two years later for him called Think Big. Gifted Hands came out in 1990 and has never been out of print. Uh, mm. And it's still selling, especially after we got into politics. Sure. The second, sure. the other book... Think big. Well, the first one sold somewhere. Uh, we don't know for sure, but somewhere like six or seven million. And uh, think big, which hasn't been nearly as successful, has only done like four million copies. Uh, so, but they're on what we call the backlist. I get royalty checks every quarter on those two books. In fact, I've got several books. Probably, I probably have fifteen books that I'm getting royalties from now. Sometimes. I got a check the other day, a book I wrote in 1990, and I got $5. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so, you know, they do decrease as the years go by, but it's that, uh, and I got another one from a publisher that for $342, and that book's been out five years. So you never know. And But the, those are the ways that keep you, you know, in, in uh, uh, keep you going. And I don't know any other way to do it. And I, well, I do know one more way. You marry somebody who wants to support your habit, and then you do your best. <laughs> uh, I never had that happen to me. But the other thing is temperament. Do you hmm. really have the temperament? Now, look, I'm highly self-disciplined, and I'm an extrovert, which is kind of an interesting combination because most successful writers are introverts. They they find their energy from within. They like staying at that computer and they just hang at it all day, you know. Uh, so I don't know what's so, so, probably something strange about me, uh, but I'm, I do very well and despite being an introvert. I'm an extrovert, so it's, you, you know, it's kind of interesting. Uh, these people think that all they have to do is write a book at, <clears throat> they just sit at their desk and write all day long or have lunch with people uh well that is a very small part of being a full-time writer being a full-time writer also means 
at least for me, I have I have to read a lot. I read a minimum of a book a week because I want to keep mm. uh, uh, aware of the trends. Let me give you an example. I say with trends uh, today, if you read by the uh, most books today have acknowledgments at the very end of the book because most people aren't interested anyway, uh, and they used to be always in the front of the book. So that's a trend I saw five years ago and started doing it myself. Um, hmm. So I, I want to see how it's done. Uh, today books have shorter chapters. James Patterson started this. Uh, he only has he never has more than five pages to a book. It used to be you'd get a nonfiction book and you'd have twenty pages. Sure. 30 pages. Now, after about six pages, readers are saying, uh, how is this going to ever end? So we have shorter chapters. We have shorter sentences. I saw the trend towards shorter sentences back in the 70s, and editors were always combining my sentences because they said it was choppy, and for them it was. Today, that's not choppy right. Today, we're mm-hmm. living in people who, with people who text all the time. And, right. Uh, you know, <laughs> Why say? Why use twelve words to say something you can t- say in three? Right. Well, and with the Twitter mentality, you know, we've all been trained. You better be able to say it faster. You don't say it at all. So. That's right. Yeah. Uh, are you? Oh, I'm sorry. You were going to ask. I know you were to say something about advances. Would you like me to talk about advances? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Oh, first. Um, a lot of people misunderstand the advance. It's not what we call free money. It means it's an advance against royalty. In other words, um, you know, I've gotten some really big advances. I, I did a couple of books where I got more than a million dollars advance. However, you don't get another cent until you've sold enough books to pay for that. So uh, it's not free money. Uh, and, and also... Because we don't know what's going to happen with publishing. There's a lot of self-publishing is getting bigger and bigger, uh, or some are calling independent publishing. Um, and publishing houses, these big publishers are not sure what's going to happen. So what used to be like a $100,000 advance, they're probably going to give you twelve or fourteen now. So advances mm. aren't as big, but you get it on the other end if they book sell. So sure. the problem is – but. You know, the nice part about getting a big advance, uh, I did a book with a woman. She got $100,000, and I got half of that. Now, the rule is if you, you do not, you never have to pay back the, if you don't make the advance, you don't have enough sales, you don't have to pay it back. But, of course, you don't get the rights back if you haven't sold enough books. But she sold only like 20,000 copies. So there's a lot of money that we didn't pay back through sales. But... We kept them. We got to keep the money anyway. Hmm. Yeah. So, so do you feel like um, the author contracts have changed a lot? Is the percentages have they stayed consistent? Uh, they've gone up a little bit, uh, but not much. Uh, and frankly, the New York market pays better than the Christian market. I don't want to get into a lot of details, but the Christian market, the, the New York market, bases their royalty on. Uh, what they call the retail price. So if a book sells in a bookstore for twenty nine ninety nine, it's a thirty dollar book. It, on a hardback, it's usually for an unknown author. It's ten percent of thirty dollars. That's three dollars for a book. The Christian market, however, they build on the wholesale price, which is half of that. So it's a thirty dollar book. It's a fifteen dollar book. 
so it's $15. So instead of giving 10%, you'll give you 12% of $15 instead of 10% of 30 In other words, you, mm. you make it, I'm not good at math, but I can teach you it's, about, <laughs> it's less money. Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay. So that's kind of interesting. And then, um, how about the rights? Have that have they stayed pretty much the same, or are a lot more books going with uh, the uh, rights right okay, from the beginning? Two, there, there are a couple of issues. Number one, today if you sell a book, you want to make sure you retain the motion picture rights and so on. In fact, I just got a contract today for one of my books that's going to they're going to uh, use the whole book as a for a new series on TV, and it'll, it'll summarize cool. it in, for, for just one one segment. Uh, but I've already had two of my books made into films. I've got a couple others that look like they might might make out, make it. In the old days, publishers got all those rights. Today, we hold them for ourselves. The other thing you have to watch out is this: if you sell a book in hardback, as Ninety Minutes in Heaven was. My publisher sold the paperback rights to uh, Zondervan. The, okay, back in those days, the original publisher kept 50% of the royalty, and the author got the other half. Well, I mean, I, Ben Carson gets 25, and I get 25, and the original publisher gets 50% of gifted hands. We're still making some good money, but that's cut way down. So now the trend is with savvy agents they're saying no 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 you're not going to get 50 you can get 30 percent or 20 percent but my writer gets most of the royalties so that's mm-hmm. what's one of the things there's some other things but uh one other thing is there's also a clause i we used to call it the slave clause if you sell a book to a publisher today uh almost all of them will insist on the first right of refusal on your next book. I hope you understand what I mean by first right of refusal. In other words, I write, we write this, we sell this book. It does well. We get the first chance at this book. And um, if we turn it down, then you're free to sell it elsewhere. But we get first chance. And my agent uh, is crossing that out. Has been almost all along. But some some publishers won't buy it unless you give them the first rights. And I can see that that would be really true, especially if you have a niche book that yes. it would look like you're coming back into. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so so there, there are a lot of changes, and that's and that, by the way, that's another way you really need an agent, is because, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm not a really smart guy, but I'm smart enough to know that I don't know, so that's why I have an agent, <laughs> because they do all that. Right. <laughs> and well, I'll tell you the other thing is agents can bargain for you, right? And and they may argue back and forth. And here I am. I'm just I'm this really nice little guy, and I just sit here and write. And and they argue back and forth. Uh, yeah. I was offered a book recently at at twenty percent royalty. My agent said I wouldn't even let him talk to anybody for twenty percent. He usually gets mm-hmm. fifty. Oh, so the world. <laughs> Huh. Yeah, right. No, I think, you know, that's that's such a great thing and I love I love it when there can be someone in between us and the and the decision maker on the other side. I think it helps so much as long as that person's really truly watching out for your good. Um, when you think about a new or discouraged writer, what would be your words to them? I would say stop writing. 
unless you can't. Mm. Unless you can't. You know, everybody thinks they have a I'm virtually everybody thinks they have a book. I read somewhere a couple of years ago that 83% of Americans feel they have a book in them. But thank God they don't all write them. Uh, but uh, <laughs> you know, if, if God is really calling you and leading you to write a book, and you're trying to be sensitive and obedient to God, you can't quit. Hmm. Most writers, now I go to writers' conferences. I've talked. I've I've taught in. 259 writers' conferences, and wow. probably I can tell you that probably not more than a thousand people have. Well, maybe more than that, but not more than a few few thousand people ever get to publish. They just don't hang out. It's, I, I think there's nothing wrong with exploring it, but you know, pretty soon you really know if you have if you can do it. You see, I think good writers have a feel for words. I know a couple mm-hmm. of best-selling writers. They're all right. There's nothing wrong, but there's no, there's no excitement in their prose. When you read it, a good writer speaks to you in either your mind or your heart or both. Hmm. And I don't think yeah. you do that. Hmm. So true. So true. And it's those books, those books that stick with us. And when we, somebody says, you know, have you read anything good lately? They just bubble right to the surface in our thoughts. Cecil, right. this hour has flown by. If somebody goes over to your website, you've mentioned just some resources and a blog over there. What else will they find? Well, uh, I have two blogs. One is a blog for writers. Uh, the other one is I have a blog for uh, male survivors of sexual assault. I am a survivor. Right. Uh, I write a little newsletter every month in which in about three to 400 words, I open my heart to you, tell you a little news about myself. Um, my my goal in, in, in having that website is, hey, I'm trying to help writers. Uh, one of the things I do is uh, I work with some conference directors in providing scholarships and um, um so I want to say to writers, if they want to go to a writer's conference but don't feel they can afford it, write to the conference and ask them if they have scholarships. Um, I don't give scholarships to individuals as a rule, but uh, what I do is I give them to the conferences and they give them to needy people. Oh, that's great. That's beautiful. Yeah, that's great. Super. And then um, there's a is there a place right there on your website to sign up for the newsletter then? Uh, yes, there is, or you can just c.murphy at uh, comcast.net, c.murphy with an E-Y, uh, or let me give you an easier one, cec.murp at comcast.net. Awesome. cec.murp at comcast.net. Awesome. Well, this hour has flown by. Cecil, thank you so much for being here. Thank you again for having me. You're you're a lovely person, and I enjoy being on your program. (laughs) Thank you. And I'm just so grateful for your life and for how you've just invested into really all of us by writing and by sharing what God has put in you. Um, Thank you so much for just being so authentic and and vulnerable and real with us. And thank you guys for being here today. It's always fun to have you with us during the show live. And for those of you who listen around the web, thank you for that also. And you can also let people know about it. Just if you go to marniesfriends.com, you can always see what's coming up next. And I hope you have a great afternoon. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.